Welcome to Sleep Talk, the podcast about all things sleep, brought to you by sleephub.com.au. Here are your hosts, Dr. David Cunnington and Dr. Moira Junger. So welcome to episode number 49 of Sleep Talk and welcome Moira. Hi Dave, hi everyone. And so the theme for this month's podcast is social time. Now you'll learn later on what social time means. It might be a bit of an abstract sort of thing. It doesn't but... sound like the kind of thing you have in a Sleep Talk podcast. But wait, <laughs> there's more. Exactly. It's not just social time means time at the pub. We're with, just going to chat. For, <laughs> we're going to chat for just half an hour. So what's been happening in sleep? Well, I think we should mark that this we've done four years of this podcast. So that's what's I think that's what's topical this month for me. That I noticed that we've completed our forty eighth episode. This is forty nine. So into our fifth year, really, when you think about, we've done four years. So congratulations, us. Exactly. That's <laughs> a pretty good milestone. Yeah, back in the day when we, no podcasts weren't as big as they are now. In fact, I sort of was hoping no one would really listen. <laughs> but they're all there. They're there. People at the conference told me they'd watch, like, listen to them from the start. I thought, oh, no, I haven't listened four years ago. What What were we saying? What were we doing? Exactly. We probably divulged a little bit too much, too much information. For... Now I know people are listening. I have to tone it down a bit. What's topical for you? What have you noticed this month? Well, talking about podcasts, so just to promote another podcast is the Sleep for Performance podcast. So Ian Dunnigan, oh, yeah. so one of our colleagues from Perth. He's been a guest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Ian was a guest early on on an episode talking about sport and mm. sleep, and that was one of the things he focused on in his PhD. Yeah. So Ian runs a great podcast called Sleep for Performance, so check it out. And uh, he interviewed me and we had a really nice discussion as part of that, just about sleep and what a sleep physician does. And Oh, great. It, Unstructured podcast, yeah. which is actually a really nice style and nice yeah. to, to talk with. Is it just him or him with a guest? He doesn't have another person he yeah, co-hosts with? that's the usual yeah. format. He's, uh, but he's had a really good range of guests, sometimes yeah. sleep-focused, sometimes sports-focused, um, lots of other areas that cross over yeah. with sleep and that, with be it work performance, be it sporting performance, uh, in a whole range of domains. I always remember Ian's slogan of sleep in and win. Absolutely. I think we called the episode that, didn't we? We did indeed. <laughs> Thanks, Tony. So the theme for this month's podcast is social time, as I talked about in the introduction. And really what sparked the interest for me is a couple of things. So the switch to daylight saving time, we switched to that in Australia a couple of months ago and Europe and the US have switched off that uh, recently. But also a really great article in Frontiers in Physiology by uh, Till Ronenberg, who really is a doyen of the circadian field and how circadian rhythm is impact on sort of social factors. And for me, it's a really provoking article looking at daylight savings. Does that impact on health? How do other social times impact on health? Which then leads to, okay, what's social time? So then think of social time as how is a society where we say time should be? And that's different from the other clocks that Till has a really nice way of talking about it. Sun time, so the time that the sun comes up and the time that the sun goes down. And internal time, so your own circadian biology. And he has this lovely three-clock model talking about sun time, social time, internal time, which I think is just a really great communication tool and way of thinking about well, what are the some times when those things don't align? And daylight saving being an example where we deliberately shift social time an hour, just just like that, even though sun time has been gradually shifting by a minute or two per day over sort of weeks and months, all of a sudden, clunk, 
there's this adjustment of social time and what does that do to then desynchrony between sun time, social time, internal time? Well, sounds like a great coup that you've um, managed to get him to be a guest. I really enjoyed his book, which I'll come back to. It's my pick of the month. Yeah. But he wrote a book uh, back a couple of years ago, around 2012, on internal time, sort of starting to introduce those concepts. And I really think it, it, it is a good way of thinking about things. Yeah, so Till Ronenberg is a professor at the Institute of Medical Psychology at the Ludwig Maximilians University in Munich. So thanks very much, Till, for helping us out with the podcast. You're welcome. So how did you first get interested in circadian research? I was uh, friends with children of one of the pioneers of the field. I went to school with them, and um, so I got interested in in, in visiting them. They lived um, in the Institute for Behavioral Psychology, Physiology of the Max Planck Institute, and I got more and more interested in what their dad did, um, and he did the bunker experiments, and so I started to work for for them in all my school holidays, and that's um, how I got to, to know circadian rhythms. That's about um, 50 years ago. And you've certainly had a long career researching in this area. One of the models I really like that you talk about is this three different clocks that we all are slaves to. Can you just talk us through those different three clocks and your concepts around that? Sure, they're actually not not very very much my concepts. It's it's, it's too obvious to to brag that um, I've come up with a concept. It's it's plain insight once you once you look at it. The clock we know best nowadays is the clock we can see on our phones, um, around our wrists, at, um, on our buildings, and so forth. It's the social clock, and we'll come back why the social clock is special in many ways. The the second clock we do know when we see um, the sunrise or the sunset, uh, and that's the sun clock. So the rotation of the earth creates a temporal structure, which uh, we live in, and midday by that clock is um, when the sun is um, highest, and midnight is um, exactly halfway between sunset and, and sunrise. Now we have two clocks already. In the old days, uh, the, the social clock and the sun clock were the same, but then we started to travel, not only live in, in villages and walk to the next village, but we took a train and, and we realized that we had to reset our clocks and also um, reschedule the entire train timetable uh, every time we moved from one place to the other because, of course, every the social clock was like the sun clock and therefore it was impractical. So in the uh, late 19th century, the world got together and divided the, the world into time zones and thereby created the social time, which is not exactly anymore, which is, it still can be at some locations and at some time, yes, can still be uh, um, the same as sometime, but in most of the cases, it's not the same anymore. The third clock is our biological clock. We have developed, and not only we, but practically all other, other organisms as well, uh, developed an internal clock um, that claims that it can predict what's happening. The predictions are very, very uh, fundamental and therefore true. Namely, the sun will come up in, in so, so many hours and the sun will set in so, so many hours and the temperature will rise. Enemies will become more numerous or um, flower petal, flower, uh, flowers open. Uh, and all these things are in a way predictable because they happen within a daily framework that is predictable. The biological clock listens mainly to the sun clock because it sets itself or it synchronizes itself to the rotation of the Earth, Earth via the 
night and darkness, and uh, therefore the sun clock sets the the biological clock. But that doesn't mean that the biological clock is always the same in all people, and it always is equal to the sun clock, because now the biological clock is a very complex system, um, a function, a biological function in our in our body. The minute we have a, a complex function, several genes or many genes are involved, and if when many genes are involved, we have genetics, and therefore it, different individuals um, show different expression of of uh, their clock, and the different expressions of the biological clock are visible in form of so-called chronotypes. Namely, some people have a clock that embeds itself into the light-dark cycle very early, um, like you, um, and others have um, clocks that embed themselves intermediate um, compared to um, those who embed their clocks very late. And that makes um, a distribution that ranges from the extreme larks to the extreme owls, as these chronotypes are called, in, in other words, by many people. So those are the three clocks. And maybe I should add uh, why the social clock can be so so mistaken or so false, not only because it now has to stretch over a long range of long longitudes where the sun is is different, but um, the social clock is the same. It also has political consequences because some countries, although they should belong into one of the original time zones have chosen to belong to another time zone and an additional falsification of social time versus sun time um, is due to changing clocks in spring and autumn. So can you talk us through some examples of where there are those marked differences between sun time and social time and how that impacts? So in Europe, many, many countries are in the same time zone. It stretches somewhere from the eastern border of Poland to the western border of Spain. Um, of Spain. Portugal is in the Greenwich Mean Time Zone, but um, from the, the eastern border of Poland to the western border of Spain, practically all countries are in the Central European Time Zone. And that's a huge area. So that um, when people in Galicia... Look at their clocks, and the clocks say it's midnight. The social clock says midnight. By some time, it is only half past 10 in summer and only um, half past 11 in, in winter. Uh, and those are huge differences. So the middle of the night um, is... The social clocks claim that it is the middle of the night, one and a half or two and a half hours before it actually is the middle of the night. And, of course, the middle of the night is, as I just said, one of the... Zeitgebers, um, one of the signals that the circadian clocks use to synchronize. So there's always going to be a discrepancy between the circadian clocks and the social clock. So China is another example that you talk about. China um, has decided to have the entire empire um, under the same time zone, but it stretches, I think, over four time zones from the most eastern border from Beijing to the most western border, somewhere in Tibet. Therefore, People can only sort of fake time. They, they meet for dinner at 1 o'clock in the morning or, or get up at 11 o'clock because most of them just can't live by, um, by a social time that is four hours away from their sometimes. 
There's another social construct around time, which is daylight saving time. It's only an hour. Surely it shouldn't make such a difference. What makes you say that? Where does this only one hour and where does it shouldn't make any difference come from? In order to ask that question, in order to ask that question or make that statement, you must already have thought about what other people may say and that it's um, not that good to change the clocks, which I've which I've already mentioned when I said it's uh, changing clocks in spring and autumn adds another falsification of the social time away from 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 sunshine. It's only an hour. I have difficulties um, with that statement advancing the clocks by one hour. It actually is a um, a decision made by someone that everybody goes to work an hour. It's nothing else. In order so that people don't really know that or don't realize that, we change our clocks. So we still go to work at nine. But in effect, we are going to work at eight suddenly from one day to the other. And that is an hour's change. The people who like that are predominantly larks early early birds because they they wake up early in in, in summer anyhow and they they like to get home um while it is still light and like the long evenings which are not longer than before or without the time change it's just that we go to work an hour earlier and therefore we come home an hour earlier and therefore we have longer time at home but the late types have difficulty with that concept because um they have to go they already before the time change in spring um, have to set an alarm to be able to wake up. And if you set an alarm, it's very simple. Your body clock hasn't slept to its biological end of sleep. And now they have to go to work an hour earlier, meaning they have to cut in their biology even more for, for one hour. And that is not something they get easily accustomed to or adjusted to. And many people who claim it's only one hour Compare that to traveling into another time zone, and we can do that. For example, we can travel from from London to Paris, which is also an advance of one hour, and nobody has great difficulties with that. But what people don't understand when they cite the travels, the, the traveling one hour to, to the east, um, that you travel away from where you are and you get a new light-dark cycle and you give... Um, your clocks a new light dark cycle so that they can actually um, adjust to that new time zone. Whereas um, daylight savings time is going to work an hour earlier without going anywhere. And therefore, um, the the body clocks, the circadian clocks, just don't, they ignore this going to to work an hour or to school an hour earlier. And they continue to um, have difficulties with aligning to the social uh, timing. Yeah, thank you. You've made a very good case for why it is an issue. And I, I agree with you. I think it, daylight saving is something that humans don't adapt to readily and causes significant problems. So what would be an alternative if we were to abolish daylight saving? Before we go to alternatives, um, we would I would like to go into more detail what DST really means. Most people focus on the times when, when, when the clocks are changed. And um, it's known from the literature that um, there are, that many things increase in in, in ac- acute um, uh, response to the 
the clock change. Heart attacks become more frequent. Um, some um, statistics show that uh, traffic, lethal traffic accidents become more frequent. Um, there are um, identifiable changes um, um, in, the, in the stock market on the Monday after the change. It's actually on that on that day uh, one can show that that even sentencing by judges and by courts is more severe than, than any other type of the. So there are a lot lots of acute um, responses to to the time change, but for me these responses are not the the main bad situation we put ourselves in because the main bad situation we put ourselves in is that we we increase what what I have called social jet lag by one hour. Social jet lag means it's a measurement of the discrepancy between the actual sun time and the the therefore the body clock time and the social time. And if they're discrepant, which they are when you have to wake up with an alarm clock, for example, if they are discrepant, that is not good for health. But there's another way to look at that. And that um, way to look at uh, the effects of DST has surfaced over the last uh, one or two years. Because what people started to understand is that within time zone, there are gradients of health. And the best health you find at the eastern border of the time zone. And the worst health you find at the western border of the time zone. Now, when we switch to daylight savings time, we do essentially nothing else but to move the eastern border of our time zone one hour further east, which means we all have to live further away from the eastern border of our time zone. And that will cause more cancer, more metabolic illnesses, more heart diseases, where whatever you look at will be increased in its chances to come up in, in people by living further in the west of the time zone. And that's exactly what we're doing with DST. That's a very compelling argument. How do you go talking to government regulators and people about, okay, what's an alternative? You know, let's not do DST. It's very difficult because it's it's a very um, what I call a hedonic um, question. People just like it. Many people like it. They say, um, "I like these long evenings," which is fine. But I always compare that with people who smoke. Many of the health deficits by smoking are um, not the obvious ones, like lung cancer or throat cancer or something like that. Many of them are um, as obscure um, and and long and, and long lasting um, as the effects that we find across time zones. So there's nothing where we can say, okay, your chances to to, to develop lung cancer will increase by um, twofold if you if you if you smoke. It's much smaller incidences and effects, but they're all there. And um, let's leave aside the, the, the drastic effects of smoking. And then you have somebody who likes smoking. And he says, I like smoking. And this person doesn't take into account that um, um, there is evidence that smoking, besides the, the very uh, terrible indirect effects of smoking on lung cancer and so forth, that smoking is increasing the chances that you get a lot of other diseases. So if somebody says, I like those long evenings, I say it's the same as if a smoker said, I like smoking. Both are correct on a hedonic level where you say, I just like this. But they both do not take into account as statements that there is um, evidence 
that both are bad for people. And the small effects of of health deficits we find within time zones are multiplied by the number of people and the number of times they are exposed to this condition. So um, over time, they become um, very, very expensive experiments by, by society. You can't do very much with governments because governments um, go by voters, and the voters, um, are very very many voters are like, like uh, DST. Uh, so we can write to them, we can show them the evidence, but um, systems are very sluggish in accepting scientific evidence. It's quite astonishing how little politicians are actually interested in science. They are very much interested in economics and in, in votes by people, but they are not very very interested in the scientific evidence that is for or against the decision they, they should make. That is a fact by itself. So we can only propose things. And, and the obvious pro- proposition is that you go back to standard time. Let's not call it winter time as little as we should call the DST summertime because those are, those are all misleading labels. It's standard time and the original idea of standard time was that in the middle of the time zone, the middle of the time zone sets where the social time should be for that time zone, which means the social time is never further away from sun time than half an hour. To the east, they're earlier by half an hour. To the west, they're later by half an hour. So we should return to standard time because thereby we reduce, potentially reduce the discrepancy between sun time and social time, which then translates into discrepancies of, of body clocks and social time, but reduce them to theoretically to half an hour. And we should also reduce the extension of time zones. So Spain should be in the same time zone as France, as England. And Germany should be in, in the, can remain in the central European time zone. That's it. That's actually the time zone they are in. But even the Benelux countries like, like Belgium and Holland and the Netherlands and Luxembourg, they should be together with England in the GMT, GMT time. Portugal should be one further West than GMT. They are on GMT now, but they should be one further west um, than GMT, as should be Ireland and um, Iceland. They all should be in in a time zone that is one further west than, than GMT. One has to add, I think, that we know that clocks in Australia, due to uh, people being more exposed to to sunlight, are a bit earlier, and therefore the the um, problem is not as great as it is in in Europe, uh, especially in Northern Europe, uh, where people spend far less time outside and more time inside. And the difficulty is that the, the weaker we, weaker light, dark signals we give to our clocks, the later these clocks become, at least in most people. The extreme early types become even earlier under um, weak sidegiver conditions. Weak sidegiver conditions are... And no real light during the day because we are at buildings and no real darkness um, at night because we switch on the light. That that reduces the strength of, of the signal that can um, synchronize clocks or that t- clocks can synchronize to. And that's why the larks become, the extreme larks become even earlier and the rest of all the chronotypes becomes progressively later. And that's why um, we are all too late for the social times, um, especially when they are switched to, to DSD. Great. Thanks for your time. Okay. Bye.
Yeah, I must say I've, I've learned a lot, actually. Isn't it interesting how we've applied social expectations around time? We do it without thinking about it. So that's why I really like the way Till talks about things, because it makes us stop and think, oh, okay, mm. in this thing that I'm doing, why am I doing it at that time? Yeah. Whereas on some time, I should be doing it at this time. There's actually a social expectation that has normalised it and said it must be at that time. It's a very helpful model that I've never really... Uh, haven't used before, but probably will. I did a, an interview recently for an article for general practitioners, for primary care practitioners, about delayed sleep phase. And mm. I used the term, you know, stop trying to put a square peg in a round hole because mm. I was yeah. trying to you know, describe delayed sleep phase as, you know, someone's internal time is at one point yeah. and they're trying to jam themselves into a social yeah, time that's completely it's disconnected. Never gonna fit. Yeah. And, it, and it's <laughs> never going to fit. Mm. But I actually really like that language that Till uses and those three different time clocks and thinking about having to align them as one of the, the things of maintaining good health. So if you're looking for more information on social time and daylight saving as an example of social time, I'll put a link to the article that Till wrote recently in Frontiers in Physiology in the show notes. Uh, and there's also some links on Sleep Hub around jet lag and adjusting for daylight saving. So Dave, what's your clinical tip of the month? So continuing on, you can tell that I really love Till's three clock model. And so I just think that takes itself into the clinic so well when we're working with people in a clinical setting yeah. as trying to out during a history and evaluation, okay, where is your internal time? We've talked in other episodes, I don't have the perfect tool for measuring exactly where biologically someone's internal time is. Those tools aren't too far away, hopefully. Then where is somebody's social time? Where do they wish or yeah. expect sleep to be and what's their expectations? And then how does that relate to sun time? What is actually light, dark, the, the sun cycle in the place where they're living? And it's often if you think of it in that way and break it down like that, it becomes pretty obvious where the desynchronies lie or where some of the problems may lie. Yeah, it's fascinating. Maura, what's your pick of the month? Well, I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes. A, an interim report that's just come out recently from our federal government, Australian Government Productivity Commission, and they've done a fabulous and incredibly uh, thorough, to some extent, I'll get to that, on um, looking at the impact of mental health and the cost, I guess, in terms of lost productivity in Australia. And it's fascinating, incredibly high numbers. And it's an interim report, and so they're, they're asking for more you know, feedback written submissions and people appearing to various hearings around the country. And I'm interested in terms of the Australasian Sleep Association and the Sleep Health Foundation. We've realised that that fabulous interim report that is so thorough and so amazing, in the 100 pages or so in the summary article, it doesn't mention sleep. It's, so it's a bit of a, we think it's a really glaring omission that we'd like to, it's a really good opportunity for us as a society or as a community of you know sleep people, sleep experts, people with an interest in sleep, and particularly someone like me who is particularly that mental health side of things with my um, uh, psychology hat on and the public health side of things, just both of them very passionate about. So we're going to, you know, we're trying to muster up as many uh, submissions um, things uh, and hearing appearances as possible. So I'll put the link to that because people might, I'd really love listeners to put in a written submission and we've got to early, early 2020 for that. So that's my, I'll put that as my, my pick of the month. What's caught your eye? 
Yeah, I'll certainly be putting in a submission yeah, because great. yeah, I think that's really important because if we're trying to minimise the impact of mental health disorders on health in the community, and you don't tackle sleep, yeah, you're... improving sleep's going to go a long way. Yeah, mm. exactly. So, so I'm still so on theme this month. So my pick of the month is Till Ronenberg's <laughs> <Til's> book. Kel's <laughs> yeah, surprise. So internal time. Uh, and I can highly recommend it. It's a book I bought a number of years ago. As I said, um, it was first published in around 2012. So it's been out a few years, but just a lovely, uh, written in a lovely way, really nice job of explaining the principles of these different clocks and how they interrelate and how our own internal time impacts with or interacts with lots of other social factors and, um, and our health. So thanks for listening. Make sure you send us any suggestions at podcast at sleephub.com.au. And thanks very much to a couple of people who wrote some very generous reviews of our podcast. And I really appreciate that. It's really yeah, lovely to get that yeah, feedback. Yeah, really nice. Thank you. So if you do like the podcast, write us a review. We'll look at it and we'll acknowledge it. And it really does mean a lot to us because we are trying to help people get a good understanding about sleep. And you can subscribe to the podcast via any of the podcast apps or the Sleep Talk app in the iOS platform. Thanks a lot. Thank you. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for your own independent health professional's advice, diagnosis or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider within your country or place of residency with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.